0: This week on American Idols. Bend my knees. I'm going to have a firm grip. Just
1: slow back Hi. swing. Are you ready to go?
0: I sure am. Ted and I have 18 holes of golf scheduled for today. I can't hardly wait.
1: What? I told you last week that I needed to go to the flea market with the Robinsons today.
0: I told Ted I would play golf with him today. Why would I want to spend my Saturday walking around the flea market looking for a worthless item?
1: Were you going to walk all over the woods today looking for your golf ball?
0: Very funny.
1: Are we going to the park like you promised? No, I promised that we would go with the Robinsons today.
0: I promised Ted I would go play golf today.
1: But you promised me that we'd go to the park today.
0: Son, your mother's made other plans.
1: Yes, and your father has made other plans. (laughs) Maybe we should
0: have seen if God had other plans. Every election season I remember a story I know I've told you before about Christian Herder, who was former governor of Massachusetts. He was running for re-election. It was a long campaign day and he had not had time to eat all day and it was supper and they were having a rally at a church and a church barbecue and he was in line and the lady gave him a piece of barbecue chicken well he was very hungry so he asked if he could have another piece of chicken and she informed him only one piece per customer and he said yes but I'm really starving that's the rule only one piece of customer move on down the line please well he was an unassuming man but he said this is a time to throw my weight around he said do you know who I am I am the governor of this state She said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move on, please. (laughs) And that little story raises a question that we have been wrestling with since the Garden of Eden. And the question is, who's in charge? And Satan came along to Adam and to Eve and to every human being since. And he says... Take charge of your life. And this resonates with us. And so you turn on the radio or the television or you go to the bookstore. And the airwaves and the shelves are full of ways to do this. But they're all expressions of the same idol. A God named control. Now, I have to begin my sermon this morning with a confession. I am a recovering control freak. Now, this doesn't surprise you that know me very well. I can preach on the God named more and say, I'm doing okay in my struggle with that idol, I can even preach on the God-named success and say, I'm doing okay. But when I preach on control, I've got to tell you that all week long, the Lord has been convicting me as I have prepared this message because I have to confess, I have spent a lot of time bowing to this false God. And I don't think I'm alone. I think a lot of you could say the same thing. In fact, maybe in some sense we all could, because I believe we all have empire desire. There's something in all of us that wants control and wants our personal kingdom to run the way we wish. And to illustrate that, I want to tell you a story of a book I read recently by one of my very favorite theologians. His name is Dr. Seuss. And the title of the book is Yertle the Turtle. Now if you see the first picture, you'll see that Yertle was the king of the turtles of his pond. But he was unhappy because he thought his throne was too small and that meant his rule was not expansive enough. So Yertle had the idea of calling the other turtles to his throne and to stack themselves one on top of the other so that his throne could increase. And the more he could see, the more he could rule, and the more he could control. Now... This didn't make all the turtles happy because it was very stressful for them and they began to complain. But you can see that Yertle had no use for complaining turtles. In the next picture you can see his attitude is very dictatorial. He's in charge. He wants control. Now we're going to come back to that story in a second. But let me just say right now, there's a little Yertle in all of us. And when we turn on the TV and we hear the words, have it your way. We know the advertiser is not just talking about hamburgers. We have a great desire to establish order in our lives. And we experience great frustration when our plans are threatened or challenged. And so we pursue this means Or this end called control and we want it so much we will do some very unhealthy things to get there. For example, it's one reason why we're so caught up with materialism and workaholism. Because we've bought this lie, if I can just accumulate enough net worth, enough stuff, then I'll be in control no matter what happens tomorrow on the stock market. It doesn't matter whether the big bailout works or not, if I can just Amass enough. I'm untouchable. I'm in control. It's one of the reasons we have so many relational problems. Because we will resort to manipulative relational ploys to maintain control. And so the father has a sharp temper. And the people in the house live in fear of him. Because at any moment he can explode. And why doesn't dad deal with his temper? Because the fear of explosion gets him his way. He establishes control through fear. Or the wife that gives her husband the silent treatment if he doesn't behave like she wants. Or nag, 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 nag. Why does she do that? It's her way to get control. Do you know one of the sickest ways control manifests itself? Religion. Control Is the reason legalism is rampant. The motive behind making rules God never made. And traditions and enforcements and regulations. One on top of the other is to get the people in the church to do what we want them to do. Now we don't want to admit that so we baptize it with more pious sounding expressions. But I guarantee you, 98% of church fights, no matter how we describe it, are really about control. Who gets to do church their way? I think it's significant. The first time the word kingdom appears in the Bible, it's not talking about God. It's talking about man. In chapter 10, his name was Nimrod. The Jewish Targum said he was a rebellious and wicked man. And he was out establishing his kingdom. And his, uh, his rebellion was infectious. And you get to chapter 11 and the whole world is again in rebellion to God. You see, it's not just turtles that have lust for towers. And so man's going to build a tower to make a name for ourselves. We're going to assert control. Never again are we going to let a God who can send the flood control the advancement of humanity. Our activity is going to take charge. But I think it very interesting. The story ends with God toppling the idol. In fact, it's humorous that God up in heaven is having a conversation among the Godhead saying, Look what man's doing down there. He's building a tower to take charge. Let's go down to look at it. As if God was saying, It's so puny, we can't see it good up here. Let's go down to see what man is up to. I want you this morning to consider how puny the God-named control really is. For example, I want you to consider the control God versus the reality of life. You see, experience has a way of teaching us what we don't want to admit. That we can only control what counts for little. Every day, our lives are being significantly impacted by people and by events we can't control. And so let's go back to our story. Yertle's up on his throne, but down at the bottom is a little turtle named Mac under great stress, and he can't tape it anymore. And so Mac finally has to burp. And when he does, the entire kingdom is upset. And you can see in the next picture, Yertle is cast off of his throne. And his kingdom is in disarray. And John Ortberg, one of my favorite preachers, comments on this story and says, You're just one burp away from reality. (laughs) But isn't it true? That what you control counts for very little. Without question, there is someone sitting in this room today, maybe it's me, that a year from now is going to be in a serious battle with cancer. But today you have no clue. Someone sitting here right now, a year from now, is going to be in a very dire workforce situation. Downsizing, loss of job, cut in pay. And you have no way of knowing right now. That's in your future. And you can't control it. Somebody's sitting here right now and you're going to be holding a baby this time next year that you don't know today is on the way. Somebody's going to be in a significant relationship this time next year heading down an aisle and you don't even know that person right now. You see, life refuses to be managed. Most of the good things that have happened in my life, I didn't orchestrate. Most of the bad things that happened in my life, I didn't anticipate. Solomon understood this. If anybody was in a position to control life, it was him. He had power, he had fame, he had wisdom, he had money and resources. And he couldn't control life. He said in chapter 9 verse 11 of Ecclesiastes, I also saw something else here on earth. The fastest runner does not always win the race. The strongest soldier does not always win the battle. The wisest does not always have food. The smartest does not always become wealthy. And the talented one does not always receive praise. Time and chance happen to everyone. Now let me give you my personal theory on this. I think God has rigged the world this way. To remind us. That we are creatures and not the Creator. And so, in the Old Testament especially, this is wisdom to understand life is not tameable. And this is foolishness to continue to bow down to this God named control, knowing you're going to spend the rest of your life frustrated. By a goal you'll never reach. I want you to consider how puny the God is in relation to the reality of life. And then second, in relation to the sovereignty of God. Because here's the reality. You were born into someone else's kingdom. We even want to use God to take control. As if God's job was to be a divine waitress ready to bring us whatever we needed the next time we prayed. Well, you need to know God never gets off his throne so that he can sit on a love seat next to you and run the universe together. Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Psalm 135 says, I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. Now, what's he saying when he talks about all the different places of the creation? He says, where are you going to go? The highest high, the lowest low mountain or water. Where are you going to go? Find me one spot where God doesn't say right here. I'm large And in charge. That's why I say the most important verse in the Bible is still the first one. In the beginning, God. It took four words for the Bible to tell you who's in charge. God is never threatened. God is never surprised. And one word you will never hear God say is oops. God, you see, is in control. Some years ago, one of my favorite songwriters, a woman named Twila Paris was in her car, she was driving 30 minutes to her mother's house, and she says she was very upset about some very disturbing things going on in the world, just like we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks. And she was praying to God, and she felt an impression from the Lord, and it was Twila. Men can do whatever they want all day long, but at the end of the day, I still have authority. Now, she will tell you that she writes most of her songs just working at a piano. But that day, before she reached her mother's house, she had a song in her heart. This is no time for fear. This is a time for faith and determination. Don't lose the vision here, carried away by the motion. Hold on to all you hide in your heart. There's one thing... That has always been true. It holds the world together. God is in control. We believe that his children will not be forsaken. God is in control. We will choose to remember and never be shaken. There is no power above or beside him. We know that God is in control. This is the word of scripture from the first verse to the end. And the Bible calls us to surrender control to God. And by the way, this is not just resigning on life. This is not passivity. This is accepting reality. This is being honest about life. You know who knows this? Everybody in a recovery program. If you've been in a support group for alcoholism, for narcotics addiction, for pornography, for gambling, or any other kind of addiction, what's the first thing you learn? You must admit, I am powerless. I am not in control of my action, and I need to surrender to a power higher than mine. And some really good things begin to happen when you decide to topple the idol. Let me just close by talking about three. If we would surrender control to God, one thing that will happen is that you will love better. Now, as a recovering control freak, let me tell you one thing. Constant frustration control freaks live with people. People are constantly refusing to do what we want the way we want it done. You see, in my empire, I like to call it the kingdom of Rick. There is an order that has been established. I have a flow chart. <laughs> and if people would just live by the chart, life would be good. It would work something like this. In my kingdom, there are many states. One of my most important states is a state called office. And in this office, people don't call me when I'm trying to do important research. And they don't knock on the door when I'm writing a sermon saying, Can I just have five minutes? And they never want just five minutes. Five minutes. And they don't send you ugly emails. And all is in order. And what does this mean? It means life is good in the kingdom of Rick, in the state of office. Then I go to a very important state in my kingdom called the state of dining out. And when I get there, I am immediately seated. And not anywhere close to someone who smokes or even wants to know a smoker. And my waitress is polite and she can't keep my tea glass full enough. And even though I have a special request in my order, it is brought exactly like I wanted. And it tastes great. And the people around me are not loud and obnoxious. And when I ask for my bill, it comes promptly. And what does this mean? It means all is under control in the state of dining out in the kingdom of Rick. And then I go to my most important state in my kingdom. It's called home. And I walk in the door. And there's a Diet Coke that's already poured on the stand by the lazy boy. And the remote is right there next to it. And the big game is already on the TV. And from the kitchen I hear a voice. Honey, I'm fixing you a snack and then I'll come rub your shoulders. (laughs) And what does this mean? It means I've walked into the wrong house. Because that's not going to happen. See, the truth is, I've walked you through a dream world because in none of the states in the kingdom of Rick does it work like this. All my states are in rebellion. When you worship a God named control, other people will always be the problem. You know that, don't you? Hold up your hand. How many of you right now have somebody in your life that's frustrating you because they just won't let you fix them? Okay. What if it became God's job to fix them? And all you had to do was love them. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5 the apostle says we do not preach ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. And it's got to be in that order. The first thing I've got to do is make Jesus master. He's on the throne. He's in charge. He's got control. And once I resolve that then I know I'm just a servant. And if other people are always putting you in the wrong mood, it is a sign that you have put Jesus in the wrong place. Because when you surrender control, you will love better. Another thing you'll do is you'll live bolder. Because the dominant promise of the control God is safety. The, lo- the illusion is, if I could just have control, then I would be secure. And that's, it seems, our greatest value. I look at a world of people every week who seem like they're just looking for a safe place to die. Now, I'm going to take a burden off your mind this morning. You are going to have a nice funeral. Now, I'm, I'm not kidding. I've preached dozens. I've been to hundreds. They're all nice. We will come. We will look at your body. We will say nice things. We'll have some chicken salad. We'll go home. It'll be nice. (laughs) But then what will we remember? Because while you're still alive, every day people are saying, don't risk too much. Don't give too much. Don't sacrifice too much the kingdom of God you have got to be safe and take care of your own empire but I want to tell you at your funeral we're not going to say that nobody ever says they lived too hard too boldly they took too many risks for the sake of Jesus why because we weren't meant to live under the tyranny of timidity. We were to live courageously because of our conviction that this world doesn't get the last word because God's in control. And so, for example, in Corinth, when Paul is under great oppression, the Lord speaks to him in Acts chapter 18. And says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. For I'm with you and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. In other words, he's saying, Paul, I reign over anything threatening to take you under. Now what that means, if I would believe that. Is that I could start doing the right thing. Without worrying that I can't manage the outcome. And so I have a friend that needs Jesus. And I'm going to walk up and speak a word and put in a good word for Jesus. And I can't control how they're going to react. But that's okay. I don't have to be in control. I just need to do the right thing. And I have a brother or sister in church engaged in a very serious sin. And I don't have to worry how they're going to react. I just need to go in love and confront them with the call of Christ. I wrestle with this all the time. When I was a baby preacher, one of my biggest fears was if I say what I really believe about this, there's a pocket in the people in the church that will go nuts. And I will deal with their grief all week long. And besides that, there's a church down the road that will put me on the front page of the bulletin next week and call me all kinds of names. And one of the, one of the fears I had to surrender to the cross was, if you'll do what you think is right, then it's okay, whatever the response is. I'm not in control. You don't have to control people or outcomes. Someone more qualified already has that job. And it is liberating to live life directed by your convictions instead of your fears. And you will live braver if you'll surrender control. And one more thing. You'll praise bigger. Control freaks act as if their circumstances are more important than God's command to rejoice. They convey this idea that they have the right to disobey the word of God because of the magnitude of their responsibilities. Oh God, I know that your word says I am to rejoice in the Lord always, but you see, I am responsible for so much right now that's out of control that I don't have to obey you, God, until I get my life more manageable. And consequently, when life gets out of control, They run out of praise. Now let me ask you. When you've lost control. Has God lost his throne? Is God less worthy of being told who he is? Just because you can't manage life today. You know, the cross seemed like everything was out of control, but it wasn't. And one thing we learn is that there's nothing we go through that's irredeemable to God. God can take anything. He is so sovereign. He's so in control. God can take anything we're going through. And because of the power of His Spirit... He can work in your life to bring glory to himself. And so if God's in control. I can believe my life is purposeful. Even when it is not. tameable, And I can praise God. Even in. The storms. I can think like the psalmist and. Chapter 43, verse 5. Why am I so sad? Why am I so upset? I should put my hope in God. And keep praising Him. My Savior. And my God. I got a beautiful illustration of that principle this week. On Tuesday, I went downtown to do... uh, a Bible class at the Tarrant County Jail. And I had a room full of men who've made serious mistakes in life and they're going to pay a huge price for what they've done. The first thing we did before I taught was we took a worship DVD and we put it in a TV and as the music would come out, these men began to sing. Now, it's hard to get men to really sing. Not these guys. They held up their hands and with all their might, these guys praised. And I couldn't help but notice. They are under no illusion that they're in control. They don't decide anything anymore. Where they sleep, what they eat, when they rise, when they go down and where they're going to go next week is all up to somebody else. And in that moment of desperation and complete loss of control, they're learning to praise God. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up because I want them to sing a song over you in just a moment. And I'm going to ask you a question. What part of your life is out of control right now? Be honest. It might be a relationship, something in your work, something about your health. But right now, every one of us has something in life that just won't be managed. The question is, which God are you going to worship while you deal with the uncontrollability of life? You're going to worship an idol or the Lord God? Are you going to praise Him even in a storm? of that song you know that you're tearing down the idol called control we're going to sing one more song Uh, it was written by matt Redman and his wife a a christian songwriter that lives in england but he was in america on the day that planes flew into buildings in new york city you remember that day seemed like the whole world was out of control and he looked for a way to respond in worship And he realized we really don't have many songs of faith for life out of control. So he wrote one. It's become one of our most popular hymns. And we're going to sing it now. And as we sing that song, if you would like someone to pray with you about your life, I'd like you to go to our chapel and meet with our elders and ministers. If you're ready to give control of your life over to Christ and be baptized into His life, i like you to come down to the front. We're going to praise the Lord. Now, here's the deal. You do have control over one thing. And that is who you're going to worship. Let's stand. Let's choose well.